And now Steve Smith, who along with Matilda served the Lord at Wycliffe, is coming to read to us from God's Word. Thanks, Steve. Our reading this evening is Psalm 103, the entire psalm. That's on page 605, if you have one of the church Bibles. Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding and obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Thank you, Steve. If you take your Bibles, please, and turn, you've still got it there, Psalm 103, so turn to it again, just look at it again, and we'll just pray and ask God's blessing on us as we consider some of it together. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray for help in preaching, in listening, and for all of us in responding to your word, in faith in obedience and for the glory of your name we ask it for Jesus sake Amen all these guys have something to say about Psalm 103 praise the Lord O my soul you may recognise some, you may not, it's not a quiz but uh, let me quote what they've said in response to this psalm Matthew Henry he is the chap with the long kind of wig 
Matthew Henry is a great Bible commentator. If you haven't got a copy of his uh, commentary, I would encourage you to get one. It may be old, but it's good and it's rich in devotional comments on the Word of God. An added bonus is it's a free download for your computer, so uh, you could do that as well. Matthew Henry comments, This psalm calls more for devotion than exposition. It should do our hearts good. And then uh, the other picture on the other side is, of course, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, but you recognize him and knew who he was. He comments, and if you, again, you want a good buy, his Treasury of David, five volumes, is a rich commentary on the whole of the Psalms. On this Psalm, one little comment. He says, David in far nobler style awakens all the melodies of heaven and earth in honour of the one, only, living and true God. Or John Stott, he's got a delightful little commentary, you probably can't get it now, called uh, Canticles and Psalms. My copy is falling to pieces, I've had it a long time. But on this psalm, he comments, undoubtedly one of the best love psalms, the redeemed child of God piles up words to express his gratitude to the God of grace. In the middle at the bottom is a guy called Warren Wearsby. You may have heard of him. Lovely guy. I've heard him speak in the past. He went to glory earlier this year. Written a lot of little commentaries called B-books. You may have seen them uh, in Christian bookshops. He comments, in this psalm, there are no requests. It is nothing but praise. We're always coming with all our requests, all our wants, all our burdens. But there's a time, isn't there, to give ourselves to praising God for who he is and for what he has done. Now maybe you recognise the last picture there. It's John Piper who comments, This psalm is almost all bless you, bless you, bless you, and reason after reason after reason why God should be blessed. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So that's where we are tonight. We're looking at this psalm, or part of it, where David the psalmist expresses praise to the Lord and surely wants us to be encouraged to do the same, whatever we feel tonight. The psalm divides naturally into three parts. Verses 1 to 5... The child of God, the Christian, praises the Lord. Verses 6 to 18, the people of God, the church, praises the Lord. Verses 19 to 22, the whole universe, the cosmos, praises the Lord. You may or may not be relieved to know I'll only start with the first five verses. There's enough for us here. And I want us to think about three things. First one is this, who we are to praise. We are to praise the Lord. David does not draw attention to himself, 
but to the Lord. We live in an age of celebrity culture when our attention is drawn to all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons and sometimes we like to draw attention to ourselves. But David draws our attention to the Lord. We are to praise the Lord, to dwell on him, to focus on him, to exalt him. Think of his name. It's in capital letters in your Bible, the word Lord. It's the most used name for God in the Bible. About 7,000 times, I'm told. I haven't counted them all, but you can check and see if you like and let me know. It's used 11 times in this psalm. It was a, a title too sacred for many of the Jews to use. They wouldn't use it, having that name on their lips. The Lord or Jehovah or I am. That's a challenge to me and I hope to you to be careful how we speak of God and how we use his name. Sometimes there's a flippancy or can be among Christians in using the Lord's name and certainly in the world outside all too often the Lord's name is just a swear word and that's a tragedy how careful we must be it is the name the Lord instructed should be used to say who he is in Exodus 3 verse 14 when Moses saw the burning bush and turned aside and God spoke with him and commissioned Moses to go back and to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, Moses said, who shall I say sent me to you? And God declares, Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. I am Jehovah the Lord, sometimes translated Yahweh, the Lord. Someone has called it the great, dreadful, and incommunicable name of God. His name speaks of his nature. We are to praise the Lord. What's in a name? I did some playing around on uh, Google searching to find unusual names. I'm not going to give you a long list of unusual names that people have today, but people have some strange names for their children. I discovered one name in China, which apparently is banned. One name parents wanted for their child was the little at symbol, you know, when you, when you send a, a, an email or something, Friday at one. Fancy calling your child at, the A in a circle. Well, apparently it was tried, but banned in China, so I'm told. There were other strange, bizarre names. Bible names matter. Bible names have significance and are worth studying. God's name as the Lord is significant. It stands for everything about him. It speaks of his character. He is the one who was and is and will be. It speaks of his self-existence. 
It speaks of his independence. It speaks of his unchangeableness. It speaks of his omnipotence, of his sovereignty, of his eternity. It speaks of him as the covenant-keeping God. He says, Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. He is the creator of all things. He knows all things. He is Lord over all things. He does all things well, and he is good. Barbara and I were watching a sermon uh, on the computer the other evening from uh, Lansdowne Baptist Church, Bournemouth. One of the pastors there was preaching, and he used the illustration from C.S. Lewis's book, Narnia, of, is it Lucy, the little girl, who's been told about Aslan the lion? He's a lion. And Lucy says, is he safe? And she's told, no, but he is good. A reminder of the solemnity, the sovereignty, the awesome power of the living God, and yet his grace and mercy. I remember the first time I read on a a prayer letter from a a Wycliffe missionary, at the end of their prayer letter, the little phrase, God is good, and they added, all the time. And of course there's a song now that we can sing about that. God is good, all the time. Herbert Lockyer in his book on the titles and names of God says, He is the God of the blank check. Now I could give you a blank check, It probably wouldn't be too much good, depending how much you filled in. But God is the God of the blank check. He can do anything he needs to do. He is sovereign. He is almighty. Nothing is too hard for him. And he is good, and his love endures forever. But he is the Holy One, the just judge, to whom we must all give account. Romans 14, 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. But isn't it interesting that our Lord Jesus Christ takes this same title for himself, I am. He tells the scribes and Pharisees in, in, in John 8:58, before Abraham was, I am. Hebrews 13:8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God the Son, the Eternal One. The Lord declares in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. We have to praise the Lord. So what do you know about Him? How do you dwell on Him? If you were to ask one of our grandchildren, and there are three here tonight, what football team I support. They would tell you straight away, Tottenham Hotspur. Well, after all, I had an old aunt who lived round the corner from White Hart Lane. I watched their famous goalkeeper, Ted Ditchburn. That shows how old I am. I remember Danny Blancheflower, one of those rare people who was billed to be on the old uh, TV show, This Is Your Life. And uh, when the curtain was pulled back, he refused and walked away and ruined the program. I've been to the football ground 
and White Hart Lane. But that really is about it. I couldn't name a single member of Spurs team tonight. I haven't seen them play for years and years. When they got to, to the semi-finals for some uh, uh, cup or match recently, I didn't cheer because they got there. And when they lost in those semi-finals, I didn't cry either. What kind of a supporter am I? What about us in our commitment to the living God and our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? We name the name Christian. We, we sing that we worship the Lord and we praise him. But uh, how deep does it go? What do we really know? Who is the Lord? We are to praise the Lord. So we need to study his word and understand more and more about him. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. That's it. What is meant by praise? What does it mean to praise the Lord? What do we understand by this expression? What does it imply? How does it challenge and encourage us? Most of you will know that uh, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing of Apollo 11 and Neil Armstrong's little step for man and greater step for mankind and there's been quite a bit on the uh, television about it and there have been many of the praises of men for such an achievement. But we are to praise the one who made the moon and who gave the knowledge to scientists to, to build that Apollo ship and to send it up into space. Little man before almighty eternal God, our praises are directed to him. So what does it mean? Well, I discovered there are, and I could be wrong here, you can check me, there are nine Hebrew words that are used to translate the word praise. They are terms of worship, of adoration. They call on us to bless, or to honour, or to kneel. They have the idea of humility in some of them, of confidence in others, of jubilation, of celebration, of gratitude, of joy, of victory, of singing, of reverence, of clamour, of, of commendation. All words which express the way we are to praise God. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Do we? Wellesley said this morning that sometimes in some churches around the country there'll be people who'll be using the Lord's Prayer, but just using it and it doesn't mean anything. They don't know what they're saying. I was challenged by that because how many times do I sing a hymn and not really think about it? I enjoy the tune. I use my voice, maybe. But what am I singing? I asked for the hymn we've just sung, we've just sung tonight, The King of Love is My Delight. Because when I first heard it here, 
it, it touched my heart. There are some words I can't sing without getting choked up in that. But I thought about that. The king of love is my delight. Is he? All the time? Or just when I'm in church with others? We need to be careful that our praise is real praise. Not just acknowledging him, but honouring him. We're to praise his holy name because God is holy. His name is holy. Pure, set apart. The psalmist says in Psalm 97 verse 12, Rejoice in the Lord and praise his holy name. So that's a little bit of an explanation about the word praise that should be on our lips. And an expectation from the psalmist here too. Praise the Lord, O my soul. David addresses himself. Do you ever speak to yourself? Well, sometimes it's frowned upon, but you know, David addresses himself. It's a good thing to talk to ourselves. David calls on his immortal nature to praise God. At breakfast table, Barbara and I are reading a little book by Johnny Erickson Tada of devotional readings each day. And it's wonderful the way, despite all the suffering that she's been through and the condition she's still in, out from these readings comes a note of praise and worship. If I had half she got wrong. I reckon I'd be moaning and complaining. But she's full of praise. And we're to challenge ourselves to praise the Lord. Oh my soul. Isaac Watts puts it in his old hymn. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. Well, do we encourage ourselves? Is that the expectation we have of ourselves? And the encouragement, see what it says? All my inmost being praise his holy name. I guess when I was 15 or 16, our church in London got a new organ. Now I'm going back, how many? 60 or more years in those days, it was state-of-the-art. None of this super stuff we got now with all the modern technology. But to us then, and it was a growing church and things were happening. It was an American organ. It was great. It could do all sorts of things that the old machine couldn't do. But on the one side, hidden from the congregation, sticking out the side of the organ was a large lever. And it was the job of one of us young men to be there pumping the organ. Because if you didn't pump the organ, no sound came out. And if you were slack in your pumping, then the, new, the noise that came out wasn't particularly tuneful. We were expected to be committed to pumping the organ uh, with all that we could, all my inmost being. That's the way we're to praise the Lord. Not half-hearted, but like the psalmist in Psalm 9, verse 1, oh, praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. That's the way we're to come. That's the way we're to be committed. That's the way we're to encourage ourselves. And if we feel we're slacking off a bit, 
then we just stir ourselves by the grace of God to recommit it to worship and serve the Lord. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, 1646, says, What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you do that? Are you doing that? Or is it all right on Sunday night in church, but Monday morning, well, that's a different story. And what about the future? Well, listen, let's move on to the future. Let's get a glimpse of heaven. Revelation 5, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. That's what we'll be doing in heaven. Praising God. So let's make sure we're prepared here and now. You'll know the old hymn of Charles Wesley's Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, and the lines that go, Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. What a day. What an eternity. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And thirdly, why? Why should we praise God? Well, look again at verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits because of what God has done for us. All his benefits. Spurgeon said, we write our blessings in the sand and engrave our complaints in marble. That's a bit pointed, isn't it? But it's true, isn't it? You know, the blessings are easily forgotten, washed away. But the grumbles, they stick. Wasn't that Israel's problem? Psalm 106, verse 13. But they soon forgot what he had done. Wycliffe Bible Translators produces an annual report and the one that came out earlier this year summing up 2018 began and ended with the same verse. The opening letter in the report was from David Steiniger, the chairman of the trustees and uh, on the back page in the Calico language was the same verse the Calico New Testament was uh, translated, it was was the thousandth Wycliffe New Testament and it was translated and launched August last year and the verse was this Psalm 66 verse 5 come and see what God has done now come and see me or come and see what I've done come and see what God has done The psalmist spells that out here. Forget not all his benefits, all that God has done. I tried to look up online that the sum total of unclaimed benefits there are. 
And uh, I found a figure somewhere that said that there are 42 billion pounds in unclaimed benefits. Why, I don't know. But I'm not too worried about that. What I'm concerned about is, do you and I enjoy the benefits that God has for us? And, and here, in this psalm, we have five spelled out for us. The first one is forgiveness. Verse 3, who forgives all your sins. This must be first. There is no blessing that is greater in scope for poor sinners nor any that is so entirely undeserved. God's great forgiveness. What a mess we make of our lives. Maybe we look back with regrets and failure and sin. Maybe we pride ourselves that we got it all right. Well, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Our sin spoils us, spoils our relationships with one another, spoils our relationship with God, cuts us off from God, shuts us out of heaven, brings us under the wrath of God that leads to the awfulness of hell. But, and here's a good but, Psalm 130 verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't know anything about that yet, let me encourage you even tonight, even where you sit, to call upon the Lord. Pray that simple prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18.13, God be merciful to me, a sinner. For God is merciful, and he saves those who call upon him. He forgives all your sins. Do you know the joy of sins forgiven? How wonderful. Secondly, second benefit is healing and heals all your diseases. What does that mean, you say? After all, there are plenty of sick people still about. How does he heal all the diseases? It means exactly what it says. He heals all your diseases. Physical, mental, spiritual. How many times have we been sick? And yet we're here tonight by the grace of God. How many times through the benefit of medical knowledge God given and through the prayers of God's people have we been restored? By the grace of God who heals. I was reading a bit online again yesterday about Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter, who died in 1691, was a pastor in Kidderminster. Had a, a really powerful effect on the people of Kidderminster when he went there. Richard Baxter came to London in the end, and when he was laid aside and was dying, somebody went to see him and asked the question we always ask people, how are you? And uh, he said, Almost well. He knew where he was going. Isn't that glorious? Healed completely, ultimately, eternally, by the grace of God. That should encourage us. And the third one here, redemption, who redeems your life from the pit. 
David knew a bit about this, didn't he? On many occasions. What about the time when the lion came? Or the bear? Or Goliath? Or Saul's javelin? But he was spared. And I thought about my life too. And often I've been spared in all sorts of ways. Have you ever used the expression, there but for the grace of God go I? I'm not going to give times when I would have made a disastrous mess of things but for the grace of God. Or other times when I did make a mess of things. But God in his grace sorted it out. Redemption. Redemption means above all being delivered from the judgment of God, by the grace of God, through the price paid by our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.19 We're redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Isn't that amazing? What a benefit! Fourthly, love and compassion. He crowns you with love and compassion. I've never been crowned. Well, only at school, in the school play with a cardboard crown when I was a kid. And occasionally at Christmas when you get a crown out of a cracker. But God crowns his people with a royal crown. That's what it says here. He crowns you with love and compassion. The crowning touch, the finishing touch, the seal on our heads that, that caps it all. The crown of God's love and compassion. Isn't it wonderful? God declares in Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Dwell on that. Even if you feel tonight you're out of sorts or things have gone wrong. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Or one of my favorite verses, 1 John 3 and verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Isn't that glorious? Love and compassion. And fifthly, satisfaction. Who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When my father died, I was involved in sorting out things and eventually in, in getting the gravestone put right. And I wanted one word put on the side of the gravestone and it was that word, satisfied. It's a long story, went through all sorts of trials and troubles and at the end coping with my mum with Alzheimer's was a real trial. But the Lord took him home. He's in glory satisfied it's an old hymn, an old Keswick hymn that ends up with a verse that goes like this work on then Lord till on my soul eternal light shall break and in thy likeness perfect dead I satisfied shall wake whatever you find down here that you think gives satisfaction doesn't seem to last does it? a good meal satisfies for a time doesn't it? But you still want your breakfast the next day, don't you? Or maybe you, you uh, suffer from the effects of too much of a good meal. But he satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 107 verse 9, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Why? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
Wow. There's satisfaction. Even as you get old, isn't it there? You're still young in the purposes of God. Youth renewed like the eagles. Think about the eagle. The eagle are not like the ones, the ones I've seen have been in the zoo. And really they've been a bit kind of, mustn't be unkind, but not particularly dramatic to look at. But pictures of the eagle. And I looked at one or two again online yesterday or the day before. Seeing the eagle soar. The eagle, like other birds, annually sheds his feathers and quills and gets a new set of them. He lives longer than any other bird. His vision remains bright and clear and far-seeing. His flight is majestic, even in old age. He's the monarch of the sky. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And the secret, Isaiah 40, 31 those who wait on our hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. Is that true for you? What benefits are here? My time is gone, but what benefits are here for us in these few verses? And uh, John Piper makes the comment that it takes the cross of Jesus for every one of these blessings to stay. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So we're back to the cross. And the way to enjoy the benefits through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Henry Francis Light was a preacher in Ireland who came over to this country and ministered in Marazion in Cornwall. It was here that God met him in a remarkable way and dealt with him. He was moved by the illness and death of a fellow minister. He experienced himself a deep spiritual renewal. His friend had known that he had deeply erred, but died happy in the confidence that there was one whose death and sufferings would atone for him. Light says, I was greatly affected by the whole matter and brought to look at life and its issues with a different eye than before. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. I began to study my Bible and to preach in another manner than I'd previously done. God blessed his ministry. He it was who wrote the hymn we'll be singing at the close of this service. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise the everlasting king. Let's pray. Our gracious God, how great you are. Sovereign of the universe. Lord of all, yet knowing us, caring for us, sending your Son to die for us, that we might be forgiven all our sins and healed of all our diseases and redeemed from the pit and crowned with love and compassion and satisfied in Christ. Grant that we shall Enjoy, appreciate, understand these benefits and respond 
with lives that show forth your praise and bring glory to your name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.